that's when it hit me that there's these all these vehicles on the road every day. It turns out 250 million passenger vehicles that hit the road every day with 4 billion cubic feet of excess capacity. So the question I ask is what would happen if you could unlock all that wasted space in a driver pool that's bigger than UPS, FedEx, the post office, and every courier that you can put together combined? And that's how we came up with roadie, matching up people and big corporations and small businesses with stuff to send with drivers that are already going in the right direction. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Mark Gerland is the founder and CEO of crowdsource delivery platform, Rody, which he launched in 2014. Rody puts unused capacity in passenger vehicles to work by connecting people with items to send with drivers heading in the right direction. The Atlanta-based company works with consumers and businesses across almost every industry to enable a faster, cheaper, and more scalable solution for same-day and urgent delivery. Rody became a wholly owned subsidiary of UPS in 2021. Before launching Rody, Mark also co-founded and served as founder and chairman of Cabbage, which provides working capital to small and medium-sized businesses. It was acquired by American Express in 2020. Prior to that, Mark co-founded Vertical One Corporation, a content personalization service that was sold for $166 million. Something pretty cool was in 1996, Mark was a co-founder of Pretty Good Privacy, a company formed to commercialize one of the most prevalent security standards on the internet, popularized in the book, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Mark helped launch PGP and oversaw its financing growth and eventual sale to Network Associates in December 1997. In 2021, he received the EY Entrepreneur of the Year National Award. To kick things off with Mark, I asked him to take me back to the very beginning. Grew up in Atlanta. Grew up with a, with a dad that did all sorts of entrepreneurial stuff, went to public high school, went to the University of Georgia as a journalism major and sort of watched him start create all these businesses from seemingly nothing and a bunch of, he was more biotech. So a lot of scientists showing up around our kitchen table growing up. It was that it for you. It was that really what may have sparked your interest as being an entrepreneur, seeing kind of what your father was doing and trying to create or creating? It was cool to me to watch somebody have this spark of an idea and they get somebody else in to, to, you know, it's like that whole TEDx of how you start a movement and people come in and start believing in it. But he was doing it for super cool things in, in healthcare, angiogenesis to try to solve cancer, all, all these neat things. And then going off to, to journalism school, he gave me the advice of which much to the chagrin of my parents' friends was uh, don't get a job, find a deal. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that was a jumping off point. <laughs> I love that support. You know, it's funny as I think about it, I, I went to journalism school and as well and became an entrepreneur. But, you know, the one thing I got, and I'm curious if it's helped you, was really I learned about communication and, and communication, building any single business or calling on clients. It's it's the most important thing. Have have you found that that helped you as well going to uh, journalism school and with your businesses? 
It's the most important thing. I mean, again, back to dad, but it was like the, the written and spoken word is something that's becoming a lost art, but even more so like than communication, just storytelling. I mean, if you're going to start something, you've got so many people to convince, persuade, bring along, uh, make them have sort of suspend disbelief for a minute to see if something could be possible. And being able to tell those stories to bring along your first investors, employees, customers, everybody around it, you've got to be able to do and you've got to be able to do it in a, in a compelling way. And just saying this business will do great because it'll make this ROI isn't isn't always or often isn't enough at all. You've got to like, you, people want a cause and you sort of got to create it. Yeah. And you've been able to do that. I know a couple of your businesses, we'll talk about uh, Rody now and uh, which you just sold and, and Cabbage, which was sold to American Express. It seems like you were selling to a lot of enterprise accounts, B2B business and selling to some of those bigger companies and getting in the door, especially as a startup is very difficult. Was the storytelling, was that part of how you were able to be so successful, just being able to convince maybe some of these Fortune 500 companies to work with you? I think it had a lot to do with it. I I mean, there's a few things. One, you've got a sort of a three-pronged approach that I sort of tell everybody, which sounds simple, but it's actually the path that we followed. I mean, what you need to sell into the big companies, I don't care what you're starting, at least from what I found is you got to find, have somebody with juice in that company that can make a decision. You got to find somebody that cares, may or may not be the same person. And you've got to find some small pilot, something to work together on. Cause as silly as it sounds, it is easier to work together on something more meaningful when you're already working together on something. It makes it easy for the folks that tend to work in big companies to say yes, if you already are versus taking chance on a, a small startup where, you know, as the old joke goes, you always get fired for hiring a roadie, but you don't get fired for hiring IBM. So, <laughs> you know, you got to convince people that you've got something better, something that's going to make their life better. And, you know, you're not going to screw it up, but you, you do need people in there that really care and have the juice to sort of push through the bureaucracy and administrivia that often like gums it up where you just need someone to, you're trying to get this done and everything gets sticky and stupid. You need a sticky and stupid remover. And that's, that's what these people do. And it can be really small. When we started roadie, we started delivering baggage for the airlines. Our first gig was in was Daytona beach, Florida, not exactly the airport you want to go into, but it was partially proving it works. And we did, but they were putting it on their credit card there to begin with, to get it started. But that was fine because it got it started. Now we're in most stations of deltas and Southwest and American, but it starts with something that might seem insignificant that can grow. Well, tell us about Rody. I know you you recently sold it to UPS, but I love how you tell the story. Like you're a founder, it seems like, who starts companies just from scratch, you know, really building them up, starting with being the person turning on the lights, right? And and it sounds like you did the same thing even after so many successes with Rody. How did you think of the idea? How did it start? And what were those early days like? The idea came from a personal story of, I mean, I can tell it to you if you like, but it's... Hell yeah, we're on a podcast. As long as, you know, it's... 
as long as it doesn't take your entire 30 minutes. No, 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 it's quick. It's, uh, so was in Atlanta, was coming down to Florida, the condo, and realized the developer did put pans underneath the master bathroom showers in different units of the building. So somebody's leaked into six units. Huge pain in the ass, big mess. And so everybody had to replace their t- their master bathroom. So I made decided to make my nicer and put in tile. So it was tile day. It was a Thursday, February of 2014. I'm heading down to the beach. I get to Montgomery, Alabama, and I get a call from Glenn, the tile guy. Now, Glenn's from UCLA, if you know where that is. Yeah, it's sure not that do. one. It's actually <laughs> the upper corner of lower Alabama, and he doesn't talk like, like me or you. And the call goes like this. He's like, hey, Mark, this is Glenn. That bullnose tile done showing up broken and shit. Ain't going to be here till overnight delivery, which is on Monday. Overnight delivery is 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 Friday, not Monday. I'm going to get nowhere with Glenn. So I was like, where is the tile? He said, well, I think it's in Birmingham, which is about an hour and a half north of Montgomery. So I was like, well, find out. Hang up the phone, pissed off, sitting at the overpass of I-65 in Montgomery, Alabama. And I look left and I see all these cars going south. And I look right and I see all these cars going north. And I think to myself, you know, there's bound to be somebody leaving Birmingham right now heading to Montgomery. And if I just knew who they were, Surely they throw a box of tile in their trunk. I give them 20 bucks. They're coming this way anyway. It's probably someone going all the way down to the beach. I got my toes in the sand by the time they get there. And that's when it hit me that there's these, all these vehicles on the road every day. It turns out 250 million passenger vehicles that hit the road every day with 4 billion cubic feet of excess capacity. So the question I ask is what would happen if you could unlock all that wasted space in a driver pool that's bigger than UPS, FedEx, the post office, and every courier that you can put together combined? And that's how we came up with Roadie, matching up people and big corporations and small businesses with stuff to send with drivers that are already going in the right direction. And how did you originally, so you think of this, it comes to you, what were the next steps in terms of starting the business? Was there any hesitation or did you jump right in and was it difficult initially? That's always difficult. I mean, people ask how you start, you just kind of do. You sort of figure out what you need to figure out. But part of it's that storytelling. If I have this idea and I'm excited about it, it doesn't matter if other people aren't excited about it too. So you're going to have to build a product. You're going to have to come up with a name. You're going to have to come up with branding. You're going to have to like do a bunch of legal papers to incorporate. You're going to have to figure out where your customers are. In our case, it was doubly hard because it was a marketplace. You have two sides that you actually have to build up the driver side and the sender side. So we have supply and demand we've, we've got to fill. I always joke that you need a designer and a, and a lawyer when you start, as opposed to an engineer, because you know you want to say street legal with a lawyer and you want to make sure that you need to have something with a someone that understands communication and design that you can show people to bring them along because they weren't there when the tile got broken and 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 then make it relate to their stories. We used to do this back at Cabbage where we talked about Bill, a small business that couldn't get a loan from a traditional bank and all the hurdles and obstacles that he went through to get that and wasn't given it to him by Rich, the bank. We had cartoons of this. We kept it simple. But the fact is there's a million bills out there and there's also a million people that need to send things. It just might not be tile. But everybody, every time I told that tile story, aside from it just being a good redneck voice, everybody, (laughs) whenever I told it, people told it back to me with whatever their own thing was. It was a kid's jersey. It was a frozen meal to their parents. It was something they needed to send back to the store, a prescription that needed to be picked up. Everybody has a tile story. Yeah. Was there any um, time at the beginning when you launched where after certain amount of months, a year, I'm not sure you were thinking, well, maybe this might not work. Every day. 
<laughs> you are a true entrepreneur in my mindset. What's the Mark Andreessen's point? Entrepreneurs like living, you're in one of two states. It's either euphoria or terror. It is um, so true. It is. It, so really, it really is because I mean, we're, I always think of startups as you're trying to jumping from one lily pad to another. If people think really linearly, it's a lot harder to deal with the chaos involved in it. It's not a straight path. I mean, we didn't set out to be an airline baggage delivery company. We set out to, to utilize this group of people that are already moving from places. It just turns out that pilots, passengers, flight attendants, bag handlers, lay works at Hertz, the guy that works at Burger King, all leave all the airports every day where there's generally a supply of bags that need to be reunited with passengers. And that's a way that you can kind of grind the gears to life of a system. And in an industry that we're in right now, where people have like spent a lot of marketing money to do it, there's a way to get your customers to pay you to get deliverable in these places versus just burning cash to do it, which has happened a lot in the ride share and in the food delivery space. I'll ask you the opposite. Was there a time early on where, or maybe a little later where you said, you know what, this thing is definitely going to work. And this is a major opportunity. Yeah. I think when we started cracking the nut on the large enterprises and realized that the way to get the density and the system working, where then we can drag the bigger businesses than like the enterprises, you know, the Home Depots, the Walmarts, the Best Buys, the tractor supplies. We could then get smaller businesses like business B2Bs, and then we could get the small mom and pops. But the density created by these larger businesses that had a lot to send every day was the way to go. So we made ourselves really good at going out and selling those deals. But one of the moments for me was, I suppose, you know, we came in as a second provider to Home Depot and wound up after they had tried multiple folks and talked to many more, they put a sizable investment in us. So I felt like, okay, we're doing something right because they they could see anybody and they could choose anybody. So that was that was super helpful and gave us a lot of momentum as we went after other retailers where they're like, well, if they're doing it. Totally. Somebody's gotta gotta tell everybody that the pool's great. Come on in. It's so true. And you know, when you can land some of those enterprise accounts and we created or I created recently in the last year and a half, a, a company that creates podcasts for brands. And once we started landing Facebook and Pfizer and anyone sees those names, those companies, if they're mm-hmm. doing it, it, as you know, in corporate America, yeah. well, it gives anyone else license to say, okay, these guys have to be legit, but it's so important. It's so important to crack that code and to get in there and to get that Home Depot. Do you remember that day? Is there anything special about it when they did give you that business that you remember? Uh, we were just so excited. But again, it started slow. They started out in uh, in Portland, Oregon, and we all flew out there. And while they were signing up for it, they're still very hesitant. Like I'm like, okay, your, your, your employees can do this when you get off work, your customers. Yeah, but I don't know if we want to tell them all that. I was like, well, that's strange because I print up all these cards to hand out to everybody when we come <laughs> out there. So they're like, I don't know if you should do that. And they're walking in front of me and I'm walking behind them, just sort of pitching <laughs> cards to people as we go. That's and great. Do it and sort of just ignored it. <laughs> That's great. True. But everybody sort of came along. They realized that their own people are the best resource. These communities that people are in are how things get delivered, especially you think about tractor supply, which isn't always in like NFL cities. It's your customers, it's your employees, it's their families. It's that local community that's delivering stuff. And it works everywhere. More from our guests, but first, a word from our sponsors. Are you constantly finding yourself with 50 tabs open a day, hopping between tools just to do your job, 
Notion is the most customizable tool that helps teams organize information, manage projects, and get more work done together, all in one place. More than 70% of teams that use Notion stop using two or more tools because they didn't need them anymore. With powerful integrations, an API, and seamless navigation, you'll have everything you need in one spot so you can make speed your advantage without the silos and context switching that slow companies down. Plus, Notion has a worldwide network of millions of users creating templates, tutorials, and new inspiration. The product is getting better all the time, and you'll always have the support you need. Learn more and get started for free at notion.com slash how success happens. That's notion.com slash how success happens to help you take the first step toward an organized, happier team today. And our next sponsor, This episode of How Success Happens is being presented by State Farm. Being a small business owner can be so fulfilling, rewarding, and let's be honest, a little scary from time to time. Doing your own thing and being your own boss is great, but sometimes it can make you feel like you're all alone, especially when things aren't going great. Well, the folks at State Farm want you to know you're not alone. State Farm has thousands of agents who are small business owners too, so they know what it takes to protect everything you've worked so hard for. State Farm has an assortment of insurance policies for small businesses that can be tailored to your needs. So whether you're a hairstylist, an electrician, or a florist, State Farm agents are ready to help. Learn more and find an agent today at statefarm.com slash business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And we're back. You've started, I think, four businesses, correct me if I'm wrong, that you built and actually sold You know, to major players, two to Fortune 500 companies, obviously Cabbage with American Express and, and Rhodey with, with UPS. Is there something about you, you you love to build and then to go on to something else? Is that kind of how you operate or did it just fall that way? No, I mean, I um like you find an idea that sort of grabs you and you want to do it. It's not that you want to jump to the things just sort of grab you. And ideally they're in a good space and time. I mean, I hate going back to my dad. I mean, I love going back to him, but like, he's got a great bunch of sayings, but like in starting this um, in the midst of Lyft and Uber and everything that was getting going back and, and, and making some headway back in 2014, you know, he's always like, you want to be in the hot industry. You want to be in the, the, the hot industry at the time is really important important because if skunk farming ever becomes a hot industry, I'm going to go find the best skunk farmer I can find. I'm going to go start a company with him. And lo and behold, if crowdsourcing all of the things isn't like the skunk farming of the past seven or eight years. And then you saw a pandemic in our world pull forward by years, the amount of things that people needed to get delivered, the number of retailers that actually got good at letting their customers know, hey, we can bring it to you same day too. It wasn't just Amazon. So an older generation that realized that they needed groceries brought to them because of a pandemic, but now, hey, it's less of a pain in the ass. You might as well have them delivered as well. Tell me about the pandemic and when that started and what your thoughts were at the time when it happened? 
It was a make or break moment. I'll give you two thoughts. The first is we were talking to a huge West Coast VC at the time that we had just visited with and called us and was like, well, we know you're doing a lot of airline bags and stuff. So we're not going to invest in anything now. Like literally picked up, (laughs) took their ball and went home and called later and apologized and said they might've been inaccurate and wrong in what they were thinking. Yeah, I think they made a mistake. Yeah. But they, uh, (laughs) but but that, 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 when you ask about moments that you remember there for whatever reason, I can still remember, I was like walking around on the lawn and I was just like, damn it. But it was, it was, it was for a good reason. We had made a decision. And I think a lot of founders struggle with this early on where they, you want to, everybody wants you to focus and close doors and, and do one thing. But if we'd focused and closed the door and been the best baggage delivery company ever, we'd been screwed because our, needless to say, our baggage business did not do very well during a pandemic when nobody was flying. Like literally a bakery piece of cake in Atlanta was shipping more cakes than the combined volume of Alaska Airlines and Southwest combined on many a day. The other thing was this could be a massive opportunity for us because there were the sort of have and have nots of retailers, those that had their systems up and running and could do something. And those that were just caught and needed to figure out how do they get things out to their customers. So for folks like Tractor Supply and Home Depot that had it all together, we did a massive expansion, 900 plus stores in a matter of a month or less with Home Depot. We expanded from almost 400 stores to the entire 18, 1900 stores that Tractor Supply had during the pandemic. We took Michael's, the craft store, and yeah. from not even having a delivery option in their omni-channel playbook and got them online and working in seven days, which you might not think that like sidewalk chalk and rainbow looms are essential items, but if you've got a bunch of kids at home, a lot of kids at home, real central, real quick. Uh, I was saying when you were mentioning all those stores, I said, Michael's had to have done the best because parents were looking for anything to uh, keep their kids occupied. You know, there's only uh, so much, well, the iPhone and the iPad can do, but it's, so we, we leaned in heavy. We leaned in heavy to folks that were already part of the way there and some that weren't and got them going and up and going. And we benefited from that. And we also benefited in that we had a model like some of these other models. I just, I think you can grow revenue if you sort of give away $2 to get a dollar. But I feel like there's a magic switch that a lot of companies are going to have to find to turn what has been heretofore unprofitable, profitable. And maybe it's our sort of Southern sensibilities, but we think businesses should actually make money. And we had a model where we thought as scale came in, it would become profitable. And that's exactly what happened during the pandemic. Yeah. You end up selling to UPS. How did that deal come about? Well, UPS was an investor in us since the beginning. And they also provided through UPS Capital the insurance, which was great credibility for us early on, where it could be like everything going through the, the roadie network has the same insurance as if it was on a brown truck. So that was super helpful to us you know, in the early days of getting started. But I think... Um, you know, we have a product set. They don't. We have same day delivery, and that doesn't exist inside of of Brown. They recognize that, and and you know, and we can handle a lot of different products that they don't want to. We don't need boxes. We can do bags. We can do flowers. We can do grocery. We can do a lot of things that aren't really out there. But to the extent the future, if you're going to be in logistics and need to need a same day option, we're a pretty good one. Yeah. And for you personally now, after the, the sale of the business, or are you running the business? Is it separate outside of, of UPS? And, and what's your day-to-day like? Yeah, they've, they've been wonderful about it. It's, I've seen a lot of acquisitions, but they, they said up front, we wanted to keep you separate 
and running like a startup. And part of that is they want to bring innovation into what is a hundred plus year old company with a lot of legacy. And the way you do that is to not like crush new things you buy with a big brown bear hug. And they've been really awesome about not doing that. So I run it independently. My day is really not a lot different than what it was before, other than trying to intake opportunities that might come from those guys for stuff that they heretofore couldn't do. But Rody can because we can do same day. To be an entrepreneur, to be successful, you pick yourself up off the mat all the time, challenges. You talked a lot about your dad. Did that come? Do you know where that came from for you? Did it come from your father or other? Was it? you know, innate within you? I think seeing it all the time definitely happens. I think you've got to have some some qualities that help in, in doing this. I mean, you've got always, in looking for employees, they're kind of the same traits. I mean, you got to be relentless. You got to be willing to get punched five times in the face <laughs> and come back the next day for more. Uh, but you also have got to be a figure it outer. Like I, even when we, we, we do interviews of folks, like you're going to run into things that you just haven't seen before. And you've only got the tools in your head and people around you to figure them out. So you want people that can figure things out they haven't seen before, which tends to be folks that do better in early stage companies than, than larger corporations where you get drilled down to one specific thing that you do versus more of a generalist approach. Yeah. You told us about your father talking about finding, I love the finding the deal, but finding the industry that, or the area that's really going to be taking off or taking off and jump into that. If you were starting another business today, maybe as a young entrepreneur, where would you focus your attention right now? There's a lot of places out there. It's hard to me to put myself back in that place. Like right now, as I see my dad's is mid eighties and still starting things. And I think the healthcare sector is, is, is a pretty great place to be. I think it's a place that could use a lot of improvement. And I think, uh, and if I wasn't doing this, I mean, I took about seven years off to take care of my grandmother from age 94 to a hundred. Oh, wow. So geriatric care and all the things around that and treating our elderly better and having, you know, better knowledge and services around them is, is a place that I would be enthusiastic about going about. Yeah. You know, I've, I've just sort of, I sort of lived it with my own Mimi and I know other people have, and it's something that hits everybody. Uh, No, I just went through it. Uh, My mother passed away back in October and my father several years earlier and just going through that and so many friends now my age who have parents that are older and just how you see the lack. I mean, even when we're just going to hospitals and doctor's visits and there really needs, as people live longer, there needs to be innovation and change within that business of healthcare. So I, I love that you said that. And also the fact that it's, it's for good. It's, you know, a lot of people just think, oh, NFTs, or I'm going to go into this and right. And it's like, there's ways to really change the world in positive ways, which it sounds like, you know, I know you have done with cabbage and small business loans or, or, or credit and just, which has been, been great. Is there any advice you would give to maybe some of these entrepreneurs who are starting businesses right now, not so much what to go into, but just from a mindset perspective? Yeah. You do a little something every day. I don't care if you get business cards, but like you need to show demonstrable progress every day. And then you'll look up in 30 days and see you're further along than you might thought 
you have been. And just the act of getting something done is useful. I always say that like uh, perfect is the enemy of done. So it doesn't have to be perfect. Like what you want is to make hit certain goals. It doesn't because it's not going to be right up front anyway. So I found that products and everything else do a lot better if you just get them out there. They're ugly and a little broken. And then you fix them with real time input from your customers, the people that are using them. And then they got a lot better, a lot faster than you just sort of divining what that product needs to be. I mean, the best ideas for Rodeo, they're not coming out of my head. They might come out of our customer service department's head then based on what they're hearing from customers who are actually using it and, and how it needs to be used going forward. And that's one of the cool things about it being part of one of the largest shipping and logistics companies in the world. I would have never done this deal if it led to something that led to Rody getting dismantled. But the idea that my kids can send something in 10 or 20 years through the Rody network and be like, ah, my dad kind of put that together. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Well, Mark, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show and, and just sharing a lot of your wisdom and amazing success that you've had. You know, we get a lot of entrepreneurs on this show and they'll build one big company and, you know, you've done it many times. And, uh, and it sounds like if you're anything, which you are like your father, you might still be doing this when, when you're 80 as well. I don't know. I just don't think we can keep a job. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mark. I appreciate your time. Great. Thank you for having me. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman. That's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N. Or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business. Or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.